This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Monday, December 6th. Good morning and welcome back to Morning Air. Happy St. Nicholas Day. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us to start this second week of Advent as we prepare for Christmas, which is less than three weeks away. Can you believe it? On Mondays, traditionally, we pray for the holy souls in purgatory, the souls of our relatives and our loved ones. Today is also the feast of St. Nicholas, the real Santa Claus, who's been the focal point of many legends over the years. We know for sure that St. Nicholas was the Bishop of Myra in the fourth century, which is in modern day Turkey. He was present at the first ecumenical council of Nicaea, where he signed the document affirming the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Nicholas is associated with Christmas because of the tradition that he had the custom of giving secret gifts to children. And so St. Nick is associated with Santa Claus, to this day, and it's a big feast day in many countries, especially some of the Hispanic countries. We want to bring in my partner, Glenn Leverens. Glenn, what are some of the stories making headlines this morning? Oh, people getting chocolate all over their socks today, John, with uh, St. Nicholas Day. They forget the candies in there, perhaps. But, I uh, got mine. I got mine, Glenn. <laughs> I walked into my office. Uh, St. Nicholas clearly stopped by because there was a, a beautiful red stocking with my name on it and a uh, candy cane and little chocolates uh, sticking out. So uh, it was a reminder that today is a, a special feast day. It, it's a fun day as well. Well, we got to pray for St. Nick to test uh, negative on his COVID test. Uh, new travel restrictions into the U.S., John. Uh, all folks, whether they're vaccinated or not, even U.S. citizens returning, need to have that negative COVID test a day before uh, boarding the plane. So that's, uh, that's new and tougher in terms of taking a look at COVID. That new variant uh, looks like it's you know a little more contagious, but... Uh, Early reports are the symptoms aren't maybe as bad as some of the other variants of COVID, and they still would like a few more weeks to make a final determination on that. And again, as we've been doing since the very beginning of the pandemic, it's uh, facts, not fear. We're not trying to scare anybody. We're just giving the facts uh, that uh, this Omicron has been found in 17 states. Uh, but the reality is, is that there's still the, a lot that we don't know. And the good news is that at least according to Dr. Fauci, uh, it doesn't look like it, it is uh, very very dangerous at this point. Yep, like they say, very contagious, but uh, going to you know kind of keep an eye and see if it might not be as as dangerous as uh, you know some of the other variants as well. Hey, uh, also I know you know we both are big football fans. Big college uh, football uh, action over the weekend. A big victory for Alabama, and uh, so things are kind of set up for the college football playoffs. It'll be top ranked Alabama taking on undefeated Cincinnati and the other playoff, Michigan, really on a roll. They'll take on third-ranked Georgia. The winner, then the National College Championship game will be set for Indy in January 10th. Love to see uh, Alabama against Michigan. Michigan, as they call it, uh, back in Detroit. Uh, that, that It's going to be exciting no matter what happens. 
Absolutely. An excitement in Michigan uh, over the weekend. A last second, a zero seconds left on the clock victory. The first of the year, the first in 364 days for the Detroit Lions. My condolences those, uh, to your Vikings. Uh, <laughs> Vikings. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they pulled it out uh, with a touchdown on the final play of the game. To The Lions win at 29-27, their first win. <laughs> Unbelievable. They finally pulled it out. But I think uh, on a positive note, uh, the head coach, uh, Dan Campbell, um, he dedicated that the game ball uh, to the city of Oxford, just north of Detroit. Uh, that's the city where uh, in Oxford High School, the four students uh, were killed in the shooting and seven injured and so I thought that was a really nice touch uh, for the Lions they even uh, wore an O on their helmets in dedication and remembering these uh, these students that uh, that died yeah just a reminder to keep that whole community we just cannot imagine what that'd be like if your own uh, neighborhood high school something like that happened so please Keep them in your prayers. But, uh, yeah, the blending of sports and in real life once again, John. Absolutely. And, and sports can help, uh, at least for those three hours, to take uh, the minds off of that horrible tragedy. And at least, uh, hopefully, the Lions fans had a little bit of fun uh, seeing their team finally win a football game. As always, Glenn, thanks so much. Hey, sure thing, John. We begin every show, every hour, giving thanks to our Lord for the many blessings that we receive every day through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, only two more days left, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Isaiah 35, 8. A highway will be there called the Holy Way. Advent in many ways is like walking through a spiritual desert to escape from exile, return home. How will we survive walking hundreds of miles spiritually through the desert of Advent? Our Lord Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, and the life, in his infinite ocean of mercy, has given us the gift of the sacrament of confession. There's no better way, as Father Rocky has reminded us so many times, uh, to prepare our souls uh, for Jesus' coming at Christmas time than making a good confession this Advent. Let us walk on the holy way into the desert of Advent. There we will see many miracle moments and come home for Christmas. And we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the show, is 888-914-9149. And joining us now to continue our Be Formed series to talk about the gospel acclamation and the gospel is our spiritual director, Father Burke Masters, the Chicago Cubs Catholic Chaplain chaplain known as the baseball priest, as well as the director for the Office of Adult Formation for the Diocese of Joliet, Illinois, and a Morning Air contributor. Good morning, Father Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, happy St. Nicholas Day. Good morning, John. It's good to be with you, and uh, happy St. Nicholas Day to you as well. 
I understand Mariano was telling me that uh, you've got a big trip coming up later at the end of the week. I am. Uh, so, um, Father Steve Borello, our vocation director, and I are going to be going to Mexico City on Friday. Uh, we have a seminarian studying at the Seminario Hispano in, in Mexico City, and we're going to be there for December 12th, of course, the big feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And, um, you know, I don't know what the COVID restrictions are going to be, but normally the seminarians uh, at the seminary get to serve the midnight mass. And so we're hoping to be able to concelebrate that mass, uh, which would be just a beautiful thing. You know, she's the patroness of, a, of the Americas. And um, if, if you've never been to uh, that basilica or heard about the, the, mir- the miraculous tilma, I encourage you to read about it because it's, it's so powerful. Whenever I walk into that basilica, I just sense the, the presence of our Blessed Mother. And, uh, you know, they say, you know, a, a tree by its fruit. You know, after that miracle happened uh, in the 16th century, you know, within a, a year, I believe it was, there were 9 million conversions to Catholicism as a result of it. And people have continued to uh, come to know our Lord Jesus through through Mary, especially Our Lady of Guadalupe. And as we speak, uh, many people uh, across the country and around the world are praying uh, the novena to Our Lady of Guadalupe in anticipation of the big feast that comes this coming weekend on December 12th. Yes, uh, my first parish in West Chicago uh, was a a large Mexican-American population, and we had the novena, and I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't, familiar with the um, the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and wow, I was just amazed at the, at the faith, and what um, what really struck me was the, the night before, so going into December 12th, um, at midnight, uh, it was a very cold night, my first year as a priest, and uh, I heard these people singing outside, and so I, I got up, and I, I looked out the window, and there were a bunch of people outside the church uh, just singing to Our Lady. It's like a serenade, and uh, it's the way they began. And then I think it was about 4 or 5 a.m., we had a, a Mañanitas service, you know, where we uh, serenaded the Blessed Mother, and then people could go to work. And just the church was packed <laughs> the, the whole day. It was just a, an amazing experience for me and my kind of real introduction to uh, some of the devotions around Our Lady of Guadalupe in the in the Mexican community, and uh, what was beautiful is the the pe- people like myself who were born and raised here, uh, seeing some of these. You know, a lot of the Anglo community thought, "Wow, I, I want to be a part of that," <laughs> and uh, and so. It really brought together the whole parish, which was so, so beautiful. Well, Father Burke, please keep us in your prayers uh, when you're down at the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Uh, for those of us in the Chicago area, we'll be able this year, uh, last year it, it wasn't open, but the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe is expecting two to 300,000 um, pilgrims mm-hmm. once again this year, the second largest gathering of Catholics outside of Mexico City for the big feast. So uh, I'll definitely be stopping by there uh, it's like nothing we ever have seen in this country. Yeah, it's interesting. Even though that shrine is only an hour from where I live, I've never been to that one. And I've been to the one in Mexico City several times. So uh, maybe next year I'll have to make it a point to go to 
displays for uh, for the local shrine here. Sounds great. And uh, one thing about uh, that celebration uh, in displays is they have masses going on uh, all throughout the night, uh, which is a perfect um, segue for our discussion as we've been uh, continuing our series, our B-Form series with you, Father. We were going to talk about the gospel acclamation and and the gospel. Uh, First of all, can you explain to us what is the lectionary and uh, what is the book of gospels and the differences between the two? Sure. So uh, at Mass, you know, whenever the, the first reading and, and the second reading are proclaimed, that's, that's always from the lectionary. So lectionary means, you know, reading, and uh, it contains Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament reading, and the Gospels. It has all the readings for Mass. Um, the book of the Gospels is often much more ornate. Um, it might be, you know, gold-plated or you know, a beautiful cover on it. The book of the Gospels only contains uh, readings from the four Gospels, you know, which we believe is is the Word of God. It's all the Word of God, but the word, words of Jesus, especially in the life of Jesus proclaimed in the Gospels. And so the lectionary is always just placed on the ambo before Mass. It, it's in place. The book of the Gospels is processed in, if there's a deacon, the deacon processes with the book of the Gospels, places it on the altar. And uh, as beautiful as listening to Father Doug Martis' uh, video on this, you know, he says, the altar uh, of Jesus receives the, uh, the book of the Gospels, the word of Jesus on top, just like it receives the, the body and blood of Jesus uh, during the liturgy of the Eucharist. So there's this beautiful sense of all of these symbols are, are pointing to, you know, this, this is Jesus. And that's why the book of the gospels is reverenced with, you know, incense, candles, um, the deacon or priest kisses the book of the gospels uh, or the, or if there's a bishop present, the bishop kisses the book of the gospels to sign like, this is, this is the word of the word of God in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And, what really struck me as I was preparing for this week was in the book of the Gospels, uh, you know, we're not just hearing historical facts, although there are biographical facts about Jesus and his genealogy, but, it, but it's Jesus speaking to us right now. So, for example, when, when Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, nor do I condemn you, now go and sin no more, he's saying to us, <laughs> nor do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So for us to pay attention and listen to the words, not as, okay, here's, here's some old story from 2,000 years ago, but what is, what is Jesus saying to me right now in 2021 as I, as I stand and listen to the gospel? Father Burke, uh, we have a, a great uh, love uh, and devotion for the book of the gospel. Uh, in fact, um, for us uh, as Catholics, it's important that we understand that we are uh, devoted to both the, the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. Uh, Jesus is present to us in many different ways. Can you talk a little bit about the, the different ways in which Christ is present to us when we're in Mass? Sure. Um yeah, so the the obvious and preeminent way Jesus is present to us is in the Eucharist, you know, and a recent study said that only one third of Catholics believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, of real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. 
I think it might be a little bit higher than that, but but still there are a lot of people uh, who don't believe, and I think that's why mass attendance has gone down, and I believe it's also why the bishops uh, uh, are creating a, a three-year uh, plan for a Eucharistic revival, because if we if we believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist, people would be knocking down the doors to get the Mass. And, you know, those people go to Mass every day, you know, I think they get it. They're like, yes, this there's no better way to start the day than to celebrate Mass and receive Jesus in, in the Eucharist. The breakfast so the of champions, way. Father. That's how I like to think about it. Amen. I mean. <laughs> Amen. I, I remember when I went to my uh, Curcio weekend back in uh, 1993, and I was 26 years old, and, um, you know, I didn't understand, even though I'd been Catholic uh, eight years at that time, I didn't understand my faith in the Mass. After that weekend, I just had a new appreciation for the Eucharist, and I started to go to Mass daily uh, for the first time in my life. And I remember somebody pulling me aside and and she said, Bert, be careful about going to Mass every day. <laughs> and I kind of laughed. I said, why? What do you mean? She said, that's how my son started. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, my son is a priest today. <laughs> and uh, so not that everybody that goes to daily Mass becomes a priest or a religious, but what she was saying is underneath that was hearing the Word of God proclaimed and receiving the Eucharist on a daily basis will transform your life. So be be ready for that uh, transformation. And of course, that's what happened in my life. And and so I, I just want to encourage our, our listeners, um, maybe who don't go to daily Mass already, uh, to, to try it. And so many people will tell me, wow, it's so much more intimate. And, you know, it's there's, there are less people, of course, in a daily Mass. And uh, they can they pay attention more. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if you can, during this Advent, and if you don't already go to daily Mass, try to go to daily Mass and... Um, just experience uh, what that is like. So that's that's the first way uh, that Jesus is present to us in the liturgy. Another way is in, in the priest himself. So we believe in the sacrament of holy orders, and then when when a priest is acting in in the liturgy, he's acting in persona Christi, meaning in the person of Christ. And so when when a priest you know consecrates the the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, you know he doesn't say doesn't hold up the host and say, you know, look at Jesus here. It says, you know, this is my body. So he's saying it in first person, in the person of Christ. So in those moments, Christ is present there in in uh, the priest. If you haven't seen the video, uh, the veil removed, uh, I highly recommend you to watch it. It's only a seven-minute video, but it, it shows uh, kind of the the hidden realities of what's going on in the mass and the priest in that video kind of becomes Jesus. The third way is in the word of God and the Holy scriptures when they're proclaimed, uh, you know, Christ is present, especially in the gospel and then also in the community. So Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So when the church prays together, Christ is present. And so, uh, so when you go to Mass, pay attention. Christ is present in us when we pray. He's present in the Word. He's present in, in the priest and also in, in the Eucharist. So 
Christ is all over there at the Mass. And we, we have uh, that special reverence uh, for the, the word proclaimed. Uh, we all stand and sing the Alleluia. Can you talk a little bit about the, the gospel acclamation and, and the prayer surrounding uh, the reading of the Holy Gospel? Yes, yeah, so um, why do we do something different at the Book of the Gospels? You know, we, as you said, we sing the Alleluia. You know, we believe that this is, these are the words of Jesus being proclaimed to us. Everybody stands. Um, the deacon, if there's a deacon present, goes to the priest and, and asks for a blessing. You know, he says, your, your blessing, Father, and the, and the priest or the bishop who's giving a blessing says, um, may the Lord be on your mind and in your heart so that you may proclaim his gospel worthily and well. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the deacon uh, goes to the altar, bows, uh, gets the book of the Gospels, and there's a procession with candles and incense, you know, to show that this is something really important. And uh, after the, so the Alleluia is a Hebrew phrase meaning praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. So when you're singing the Alleluia, think about, I'm praising the Lord, I'm preparing my heart to hear Jesus speak to me in this Gospel today. And then the, the gospel acclamation between the Alleluia verses is usually a, a, a phrase or a short uh, uh, sentence that will kind of give you an insight what you're about to hear in the gospel proclaimed. And then, of course, the, the deacon, after the, the Alleluia verses are, and the gospel acclamation is done, you know, he says, the, the Lord be with you, and we say, and with your spirit. And uh, he says a reading of the Holy Gospel according to, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And then we make that threefold sign of the cross on our forehead, on our lips, and in our heart. And even though there's not a uh, prescribed prayer with that, uh, you know, in the liturgical books, um, a prayer that I, I saw that I really like, that I use is, you know, may the Lord be on my mind that I may know the Word of God, and on my lips that I may speak the Word of God, and in my heart that I may love the Word of God. And so there are these beautiful, again, signs and symbols saying this is something really important. Pay attention. And once again, I encourage us to pray with the scriptures before Mass so that you can really engage them as they're proclaimed at Mass in front of you. And I think uh, probably the most important takeaway is to always remember that Jesus is speaking to us in this present moment. So we need to listen uh, with great attention because he may be speaking directly right to our hearts on any given day. Father Burke, uh, as always, uh, thank you so much uh, for your uh, spiritual perspective and, and your teachings. Many blessings on your trip to Mexico City and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Thank you. Kind of my prayers for you, John, and all at Relevant Radio and, and all of our listeners, uh, I will be lifting up in prayer with, uh, with Our Lady. Thank you, Father Burke. Thanks so much. Father Burke Masters, Director of the Office of Adult Formation for the Diocese of Joliet, Illinois, the baseball priest and a Morning Air contributor. We need to take a break. When Morning Air continues, Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo, faculty member of the Department of Theology at the University of Notre Dame, will be with us to talk about what it means to wait for the Lord. Don't change that dial. Stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester.
comes this time each year. Three minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. Happy St. Nicholas Day. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, if you knew that the Lord was coming today, what would you do? Would you pray and prepare your heart? Would you examine your conscience and mend your ways? Would you seek out others to proclaim the good news? Would you shift your focus to those in need? What does it mean to wait for the Lord? Joining us now is Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo for much more perspective on waiting for the Lord. Dr. DiLorenzo is Director of Undergraduate Studies at the McGrath Institute for Church Life and Professor in the Department of Theology at the University University of Notre Dame. He's the author of seven books, including most recently, Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion. Good morning, Dr. DiLorenzo. Welcome to Morning Air for the first time. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for having me on. For listeners that may not be familiar with your uh, background, can you give us a a brief uh, thumbnail uh, sketch of uh, your uh, travels and how the good Lord led you to Notre Dame? Well, I was born in uh, Nutley, New Jersey, spent a little bit of time growing up in Tennessee, grew up for the most part in Southern California, but I found myself at Notre Dame to do my schooling and Uh, stayed on there to work in our McGrath Institute for Church Life and uh, was fortunate enough to receive a position teaching in the Department of Theology there. And then from there, I uh, seek to serve the church working with parishes, uh, high schools, dioceses, uh, through some programming that we do, and then also in my own speaking and writing. I would imagine that uh, you are a football convert, uh, now a a fan of the Fighting Irish. (laughs) You know what? By God's grace, I was never seduced by the University of Southern California. I never <laughs> had the urge to, to root for them. I sort of knew from an early age not to take that bait. So as a child, I was a Notre Dame and UCLA fan, and so this kind of this worked out for me in the end. I'm just kind of curious, uh, what is the, the feeling on campus at the loss of, of Coach Kelly, uh, especially after such a great uh, Fighting Irish uh, season uh, for Notre Dame? You know what? Last week was really funny. It was just so shocking at the beginning when news broke that he left, um, and it felt like everything in the football program that had been built up for a couple decades now was about to fall apart, or at least a decade. And by Wednesday, towards the end of the week, it was people were, I think, more excited and joyful than they have been in a long time. The whole fan base really got behind uh, this new coach that we've uh, appointed, Marcus Freeman. People really, really like him. The players do. So, um it, what, tur- what started as it seemed like a dark week for fans on campus ended up as a really sort of joyful and hopeful uh, conclusion. Well, you, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, there's been many, yeah. many great coaches through the history of Notre Dame, and you never know. Marcus Freeman could go out to be one of the all-time greats before it's all said and done. I mean, we're convinced that's going to happen. You know, before before somebody coaches the game, that's what you know is going to happen. Well, full full disclosure, as a, as a young reporter, my my first experience covering uh, the Fighting Irish football team was under Lou Holtz. That first year, they won the national championship, so I've got a lot of good memories of of uh, covering the Fighting <laughs> Irish. That's great. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, uh, Dr. De La Rosa, let's talk a little bit uh, about our um, our issue that we're going to talk about here this morning, waiting for the Lord. Uh, can can you talk to us uh, about the, the importance of being ready? And no one knows the day or the hour, but as, as Catholic Christians, we are ca- called to be prepared, to be ready. You know, in my the development of my own thinking on this practice of Advent, not just the season of Advent, but the practice of Advent, I actually had the occasion of leading our confirmation group at our parish several years ago, and I've been doing it since then. And as we came to this time of year and uh, presenting and talking with the young people about this practice of Advent, I wanted to help break it out of just a seasonal thing that we do for three and a half or four weeks to do certain things to prepare for Christmas Day. But I I myself had been really deeply influenced by the Jesuit martyr, Father Alfred Delp, uh, who was killed by the Nazis in the 1940s, um, who his book that has made its way through the ages um, or through the decades containing his sermons preached in Advent, especially in the 1940s, is called Advent of the Heart. And he really positions Advent as a season that prepares us for how to live the Christian life all the time to allow ourselves to be shaken and loosed from the things that we've come to depend on in the wrong way, and to humble ourselves to take on a lowly position and really to tap into the need for hope at the coming of the Savior now and at the end of time. And so this this way of thinking about waiting for the Lord or preparing the way for the Lord really, for me, has become the challenge of practicing in this particular season, Advent, what we should be practicing and taking on as dispositions and and habits all throughout our lives. Was uh, this experience uh, a part of what motivated you to to write your book, uh, Turn to the Lord, uh, an invitation to lifelong conversion? Well, that book, Turn to the Lord, is actually uh, the presentation of this way of forming, especially young people, in confirmation for full initiation into the Catholic Church, or for converts through RCIA. Um, And this piece, Waiting for the Lord or Preparing the Way for the Lord, is two of the 25 sessions within that layout. And so that book, which I uh, was just able to publish in this last year after some delay due to the pandemic um, through liturgical press, presents that way of formation, both in terms of educating um, readers, like allowing readers to take a deeper dive into the Catholic faith, and then in the second part of the book to lay out how to lead a Catholic formation group for those who are being who are seeking full initiation into the Church. So there are actually two forms of the book. One is um, has, a, has a second part that's this leader guide that I'm talking about, and then another, the other edition of the book is just a single uh, part, which is for any uh, any interested reader, actually, to take a deeper dive into Catholicism. Uh, Professor, how do you see Advent uh, as a way uh, to practice perpetual uh, watchfulness, n- not just only during these few weeks of Advent? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I one of the ways I've come to think about this is through the Beatitudes that are presented in Luke's Gospel, not to slam in any way the Beatitudes as they're presented in Matthew's Gospel, but Luke's Gospel has something really quite interesting going on there. He presents the Beatitudes there when Jesus speaks them. They have four blessings, and then there are four curses. 
And the blessings are upon, similar to Matthew's Gospel, those who are poor and hungry, who have been ridiculed, who are suffering. In other words, this is where God places himself. He joins with those who are down and out, who are lowly. And those are the ones who will be blessed. And then on the other side, it's woe to those who have been filled now. Woe to those who laugh now. In other words, who laugh at others, who ridicule others. Woe to those who cause suffering. And what I find in Luke's gospel is there's an either or here. There is no third way. You're either on the side of the power of God or you're on the side of the power of the world. And I think for us during Advent and to examine our own Christian lives, we have to continually ask the question, where do I place myself? Where do I allow my heart to go? For some of us, we suffer and we are the ones who are down and out. We're sick and victimized. We're poor. We're lonely. And the Lord has come to us. Advent is a great season of hope for us. But for those of us who don't find ourselves in that position, it's the choice. Do we give ourselves over to join with those who are down and out? Or do we remain distant or callous or unfeeling on the side of the power of the world? Because, as Jesus says, there is no third way. It's either the power of God or the power of the world. So that's, I think, a call to examine our conscience and to see where we place ourselves. Dr. DeLorenzo, can you talk a little bit about the power of Scripture, be able to tap in to the Word of God uh, to prepare our hearts here during Advent? There's so much that we can learn about the true meaning of Christmas just by reading uh, the Word. Well, I think that our approach to Scripture in some ways depends on what we allow our hearts, where we allow our hearts to be placed in a different way. When we turn to Scripture, are we looking to find what we already thought would be the case. In other words, to kind of seek out the hope that I wanted to find or to find reassurance for the way I am already living. And sometimes, of course, like to pay attention to the Word of God, we will find those things. But I think, and this comes back to to Father Delp and his preaching on Advent, that we ought to allow ourselves to be shaken. When we turn to Scripture, we first have to give priority to the Word of God as it is given. In other words, we don't come with a list of demands or even uh, a trunk full of, of expectations. We first pay attention to the Lord, and sometimes, a lot of times, we're going to be troubled by what we find, or we're going to be confused, and we have to dig deeper. We have to allow ourselves to be instructed by those who have studied the Scriptures before us. We have to read the Scriptures within the body of the Church. And what we will find is that the hope that we really are seeking after, that we ought to cultivate, is going to be deeper than the hope we thought we wanted. And the way in which that we're called to examine our thoughts and our actions is going to be piercing, but it's ultimately the way to liberation. So I think that we find that, for example, when we turn to these prophecies in the book of the prophet Isaiah, the prophecies of Advent, we will be shaken if we really attend to what is being presented to us there. Uh, Professor, there's a number of people who didn't wait for the Lord and others who have waited for the Lord. I'd like to talk about them, but first we have to take a short break. If you have a question or comment uh, for uh, Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo uh, about uh, uh, waiting on the Lord, we're talking about uh, the importance of waiting on the Lord here during Advent. Uh, give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side with much more. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Today's programming sponsored in part by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. Forty-eight minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us on St. Nicholas Day as we continue our conversation. We're talking about what it means to wait for the Lord with Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo, professor of theology, faculty member of the McGrath Institute for Church Life in the Department of Theology for the University of Notre Dame. Dr. DiLorenzo, welcome back. Thank you. We were uh, talking a little bit about Scripture before uh, the break, and uh, I mentioned that there, there's a lot of people who uh, did not wait on the Lord. Uh, how can, can you talk a little bit about maybe a few examples and how we can make sure that we uh, don't uh, fall for uh, worldly things such as power? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, if we tend to Scripture, we, we end up finding more examples of people who did not wait than people who were prepared and waiting and we might think, for example, of that rich young man who comes to Jesus seeking eternal life. And Jesus says, he says, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And in the end of that pericope, we know that the young man goes away sad. Why? Because he's placed his heart on his many possessions, and he's not willing to loose from them in order to welcome the Savior who stands before him. He had not prepared his heart. But we also find this, for example, at the very beginning of the third chapter of Luke's Gospel, which seems like one of these sort of missable, kind of unimportant passages of Scripture. First of all, there are no unimportant passages, but what we find there is just a list of names of people. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, another tetrarch, and Lysanias, another tetrarch, and in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, just names, 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 no big deal, let's get on to the thing that matters. But what we're really being given there at the beginning of the third chapter of Luke's Gospel are here are the power brokers in the day and age when Jesus began his public ministry. These are the men who lord over the lowly in the land of Israel. In other words, these are the towering figures who want to hold on to power no matter what, who refuse to lose and give their place to anyone else. That's how they are, characteristically, in their disposition. And then at the end of that line is the introduction of John the Baptist, who comes on the scene and proclaims the prophecy of Isaiah, saying that the high things will be made low and the low things will be filled in and the crooked ways will be made straight. In other words, John the Baptist is saying, those who hoard power, their own lust for praise, they will be leveled out, leveled down by the coming of the Lord. And the key then is to prepare yourself to welcome the one who is coming. And John the Baptist doesn't just say this, he does it. He gives over his place to the Lord who comes. And John leaves the scene saying, he must increase and I must decrease. So we see there in Scripture from this great figure of Advent even, John the Baptist, what it means to welcome the Lord. When he comes into our lives, we give him pride of place. 
We give him priority. We allow anything to be at his disposal, and it takes a great deal of preparation to allow that to be true. And, Professor, we don't have to look too uh, far to find others who waited on the Lord, uh, beginning with St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother. Well, Mary is the paradigmatic figure of Advent. She is the first and perfect disciple, of course. She is the one to whom the Word of God comes, and she gives priority to the, Word of God, to the Word of God from the start. She has been prepared. She has learned through practice and through her own uh, immaculate conception how to receive the Lord in grace. Her memory is full of Scripture, so when the angel Gabriel speaks to her in scriptural terms and images, she understands and she knows what's being spoken to her. She understands when, for example, the angel says that, behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth has been found with child, she who had been barren. She knows, Mary, that the angel is speaking to her about her kinswoman Elizabeth in terms of the matriarch Sarah, who was also old and barren and was given a child. And Mary can hear that what the Lord was doing then, the Lord is doing again now, and yet for her, Mary, something new is coming about. She welcomes the word of the Lord into her heart and receives him, of course, into her womb. And so Mary is the figure of Advent, the paradigmatic figure who has prepared, been prepared and prepared herself to receive this word and to allow her whole life to be directed by welcoming him. And it's not an accident that we celebrate uh, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception right here during Advent coming up in just a couple of days. Just a, a never-ending reminder that she is the woman that is full of grace. Indeed, and it's part of the beauty and the humility of God here to celebrate Mary as the Immaculate Conception. God did not seek to come to us and take over. In other words, he's not just another power figure who's more powerful than the other power figures. He waits upon us to receive him. He who is the host of all creation allows us to become his host. And the key is, will we receive him? How will we receive him? And in Mary, the Immaculate Conception, we see that our humanity has received the Lord, the divine Son, into our midst and into our flesh with such grace. It's a calling to each of us to join her in welcoming her son. Uh, Dr. DiLorenzo, can you talk about how Advent is a season of practicing the Christian life, of waiting for the Lord? Can you give us a, a few examples of how we can try to do that here in these following weeks? Absolutely. As I was saying earlier, I think during Advent especially, we have the piercing demand of making a choice about where we place ourselves, with the lowly or with the powerful, those who are puffed up. And so I think one of the practices, the key practices for Advent, is to intentionally, more, in a more focused way, practice charity. In other words, we ought to give our vision to see who is suffering around us. Where are the lowly, the down and out? Where are those who are poor and lonely and sick and victimized? And then if we can recognize them, and it takes work often, we have to change where we are to recognize where they are and who they are, then we act on their behalf or we join in their suffering in some way. And I think that comes, first of all, through prayer, to change our prayer, to take on the needs of others in our prayer, and then, of course, through works of mercy to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and counsel the doubtful and visit the lonely and all of the rest of the works of mercy. These are 
privileged Advent practices that actually are meant to form us, I think, for our entirety of our Christian life to become ones whose heart are given to the poor. A powerful work of mercy can be something as simple as just visiting someone who is sick, maybe in a nursing home, and spending a few minutes. You can make their entire day, make their whole season. This is so true, and we know this, especially over these last couple of years, how separated the sick really have become from those who seem to be healthy. And in some ways, we have had to do that because of the contagion of the uh, the coronavirus, right? So how can we overcome the limitations that may need to be there at least for some time in order to join in communion with those who are sick? And I love your your point there that sometimes it's as simple, but still as demanding as uh, sending a card to those who are in a nursing home or who have been sequestered because of their sickness, uh, giving the call to those people, paying attention to their family, especially if they do have uh, children, let's say, to prepare a meal for them to lighten the load and ease the burden. Things like this take some creativity, and they start with first paying attention to who is suffering, but that is the path of the Christian life, to see and then to act with mercy. Well, uh, Professor uh, DiLorenzo, thank you so much for your perspective uh, on waiting for the Lord. Uh, You've definitely got us thinking here uh, during this time of Advent as we prepare for the coming of the baby Jesus. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I'm really grateful for the conversation. Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo, author of Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called A Child's Letter to Santa. Snowflakes softly falling upon your window, they play. Our blankets snug around you, and to sleep you drift away. I bend to gently kiss you when I see that on the floor there's a letter neatly written. I wonder who it's for. I quietly unfold it, making sure you're still asleep. It's a Christmas list for Santa, one my heart will always keep. It started just as always with the toys seen on TV, a new watch for your father and a winter coat for me. But as my eyes read on, I could see deep inside there were many things you wished for that your loving heart would hide. You asked if your friend Molly could have another dad. It seems her father hits her and makes you very sad. You asked your Santa if the neighbor down the street could find a job that he might have some food and clothes and heat. You saw a family on the news whose house had blown away. Dear Santa, send them just one thing, a place where they can stay. And Santa, those four cookies, I left you for a treat. Could you take them to the children who have nothing else to eat? Do you know that little bear, the one I love so dear? I'm leaving it for you to take to Africa this year. And as you fly your reindeer on this night of Jesus' birth, could you, with your magic, bring everyone goodwill and peace on earth? There's one last thing before you go. So grateful I would be if you'd smile at baby Jesus in the manger by our tree. I pulled the letter close to me, and I felt it melt my heart. Those tiny hands had written what no other could impart. And a little child shall lead them, was whispered in my ear, as I watched you sleep on Christmas Eve while Santa Claus was here. Isaiah 11:6. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. 
Thanks so much, Glenn. And of course, that's what it's all about, the little child Jesus. Now, here in Advent, uh, I want to remind you to join Father Rocky for the Family Rosary Across America with all your prayers and petitions, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week. That'll do it for this edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverens, for producers Gabby Berg, Mariano Gomez, Sarah Tafoya, the entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy St. Nicholas Day. Let your light shine before all. God love you. We'll see you tomorrow. The Patrick Madrid Show is warming up and straight ahead.